Hello, language and culture lovers. It's me, Jules. I am back as your host of the All Things Iceland podcast. I am so happy to be back, and thank you so much for being patient while I took some time off. For all of you that followed my Instagram stories, you saw some of the epic adventures that I went on in Bali and some other places. And my mother's surgery went really well, and she's recovering amazingly, which is something that I'm incredibly grateful for. And it meant a lot for me and my sister to be able to be with her during that time. I will be posting some photos on my main feed of Instagram and Facebook from my Bali trip. I've been holding off on jumping back into social media, but now is the time, so I'm officially back in action. So if you're curious about seeing those adventures, if you didn't, see them on my Instagram stories, or just want a recap of those places, you can check them out. I also want to thank everyone that filled out the survey that I conducted before I left. I have so many amazing topic ideas because of those answers, and I will be incorporating those topics into future episodes. Now, to kick off the comeback episode, I'm sharing an awesome interview that I did with Andy Fontaine, the news editor of the Reykjavik Grapevine. Andy is originally from Baltimore. They have been living in Iceland since 1999 and has Icelandic citizenship. During the interview, we dive into what it has been like for Andy to learn Icelandic, their views on immigration, coming out as transgender while in Iceland, and many other fascinating topics. By the way, we did this interview at the office of the Reykjavik Grapevine, so you will hear some background noise at times. I hope you enjoy listening to this interview, and as many of you know, I upload a new episode every week, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss them. Go the Skemthun! Andy, mm-hmm. thank you for sitting down with me to talk about the many things that are going on with you, especially work, personal life, and everything. Mm-hmm. So I thank you for having it. me. My pleasure. So I'm just going to start out with mm-hmm. the very typical question, <laughs> because you're from the U.S., yes. and I found that out through our previous interaction. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, when you moved to Iceland, mm-hmm. and why? I guess I should start with the why, actually. Um, well, I had... I was living in Baltimore, and in 1998, I found this book about Ausatru, um, mm. the pre-Christian pagan religion of Icelanders. And the book erroneously stated that Old Norse is identical to Icelandic. So I thought it would be interesting to read the original texts in Icelandic, and so I set about learning Icelandic. And then a couple of months later... 98. Okay. Which meant uh, this very old dictionary yeah. and... There weren't any tapes or CDs, <laughs> so I had no idea how Icelandic was even pronounced. Um, but then a couple months later, I got a fat tax refund check and decided to come here. And I met some people as I was hitchhiking around the country. Nice. We stayed in touch. And, um, you know, I, I'm, not tr- I'm not trying to trash Baltimore here, but <laughs> after, after 27 years of, of being in, in that town, I figured I'd pretty much gotten my fill of what the city has to offer. Yeah. And that I was still young, and so why not try living somewhere else? And so I moved here in 1999. Okay. I think that's fair also. And it doesn't have to trash Baltimore. I think sometimes no. you're just ready for a change. Yeah. And Iceland's pretty epic, so, you know, good choice. <laughs> Actually, I feel stronger loyalty to Baltimore than I do to the United States. I feel the same about New York City. 
Of, of course. Yeah, it's like cause sometimes you feel like you're just in these... They're kind of bubbles, though, really, to mm. be honest. So, okay, fair enough. Yes. And so after moving here, mm-hmm. that must have been quite interesting, especially during that time period. Now, I mean, there's a lot more influence from many different places, but... Certainly. Iceland is still a lot more isolated and very Icelandic, if, yeah. that's, if that's a thing that you could be more of, maybe, you know, back mm. then. Was there anything about Icelandic culture that... It's kind of surprising to you. Wow. Where do I begin? (laughs) Immediately, anyway. um, What was really surprising to me was that scabbing, replacing striking workers, Mm -hmm. is illegal. Mm. Um, My father was a union organizer, and so was his father. And when I came here, there was a bus driver strike. And so there was these tour buses driving around. And I had asked somebody, like... Or how is it that like workers go on strike and just completely shut down the system? And they're like, what are you going to replace them? You can't do that. <laughs> I was like, what's the point of the strike? If you can get other people to yeah, do the Yeah, exactly. Work. And I, I told my dad this and he lost his mind. He was like, we've been trying to push this since the 1970s. Wow. But um, another thing was also on the less positive side was, um, and I, I think this has changed but at the time, like Christmas was just for the nuclear family. Mm. And my first Christmas, I was uh, completely alone. Yeah. And um, I had told the family that helped me move here that I was going to be alone. This yeah. was my first Christmas, absolutely alone. And they were like, oh, well, that's too bad. Oh, no. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> And at the same time, I, like the family I'm part of, they're very much like that. Yeah. Still. So it's still a, in some people's minds in Iceland, at least, yeah. that that's, that's what Christmas is, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, I don't remember, I don't hold it against them. Like, I understand these are cultural mores, but <clears throat> it was a pretty depressing Christmas, yeah, nonetheless. I'm sorry. Water under the bridge. <laughs> so anything else surprise you? Um, like, what about the language? Was that when you first heard it being spoken? Yeah, that was colloquially. Colloquially, that must have been kind of bizarre. That, yeah, it was to an extent because there was a couple of you know filler words that weren't in my dictionary, mm. like bara and score. Yeah, these weren't. In, so when I kept hearing these words being tossed around, like it was a little bit confusing at first. But um, learning Icelandic. In Iceland, for me, I didn't go to classes. I okay. just uh, I watched a lot of television and read the subtitles, and then would compare the subtitles to what I heard around me. Interesting. And the most difficult part, though, was definitely the most difficult part was was getting people to speak Icelandic back to me. Really, even yeah. back then. Oh yeah, wow. definitely back then. Um, there was, I used to work at Fjörkraven, uh, the Viking restaurant in Hafnafjörður. Okay. And not too far from there, there's a hot dog stand, and. I was so proud of myself for knowing how to order a hot dog in Icelandic. And I went there and ordered in Icelandic. And the girl who worked there answered me in English. So I made up my mind, like, I'm going to go there every single day (laughs) until this girl answers me in Icelandic. And it took like two months. And to this day, I'm like semi-allergic to hot dogs. (laughs) Your body's like overloaded. I had my film. That's interesting. So when she finally started speaking to you in Icelandic... Was it just that her brain got confused? She was like, oh, I just have to do this. Or do you think she started to make a conscious effort? You know, I've talked to many Icelanders about this. And um, I genuinely believe that most of them who do it, they hear your accent and they think, oh, this is a foreigner. I'm going to meet them halfway. Yeah. 
and just answer in English. Like, I'm pretty sure that in 99.9% of cases, there's absolutely no ill intent. Yeah. It's just an in effort to, like, bridge the gap and unaware that, like, as foreigners in this country trying to learn this complex language, and it's even more complex for people who don't use the Latin alphabet, for example, right. yeah. and have completely set a different set of grammar rules. We need Icelanders to answer us in Icelandic when we speak Icelandic right. because not only because it helps you learn, but also it makes you feel accepted. Yes. It makes you feel like, okay, now you're a part of our society. Right. And which is funny because they want that as well. Yeah. So it's like, you know, they're afraid of losing their language to English, which is becoming more prevalent now. Mm -hmm. And yeah, but I can also understand what you're saying, that they're trying to be courteous and say, okay, yeah. I get it. You're... They honestly think they're doing you a favor yeah. <laughs> by doing this. And so that's why I politely just continue responding in Icelandic until okay. Good for you. I, I have to work on that, to be honest. Like I'm the one who will start <laughs> actually, sometimes someone speaks to me in Icelandic and I'll speak back. Yeah. And then I'll be like, well, that's the part I don't know. So I'm going to learn the English. And it's, it's a defense mechanism for myself, my pride. And I think hmm. when you're learning anything, you know, you find these little areas of weakness that you make it easier on yourself, but in the long run, it's actually harder. Certainly. So Icelandic for sure is... It certainly is. And like, in fairness, I will also sometimes switch to English because um, there's certain topics or subjects that I lack the Icelandic vocabulary yeah. for. So... But do you feel like you're mostly functional in speaking Icelandic? Yeah, I mean, I have to be. Yeah. And um, for your job? Yeah, yeah, for my job, for my dealing with my daughter's teachers yeah. and such. Okay. Even though my accent makes it really difficult for for some people to understand me. Okay. Because there can be very subtle differences in vowel sounds. Yes. I've noticed. Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes the responses seem just a little bit disingenuous. I don't know. Like I took a cab one time, um, and I wanted to go to Thorgata. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I said Thorgata. But I said Thorgata yeah, okay. to the driver, and he was like, what? There's, there's no street called Thorgata. What are you talking about? <laughs> and I was like, and I descri described where the building was and what it looked like, and he was like, oh, you mean Thorgata? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, come on, yes. dude. Like, if I was a taxi driver in Baltimore, for example, <laughs> right. and somebody got in there like, I need to go to Franklin Street. Like, Franklin Street? Where's Franklin Street? What are you talking about? Oh, you mean Franklin Street. Yes. Hey, yeah. come on. This has actually happened to me a bunch of times. And not actually when I was trying to speak Icelandic, but just, just talking about something that they say in Icelandic that's you would say differently in English. Yeah. So uh, there's a candy, for instance, called Dracula in English. Yeah. It's called Dracula in Icelandic, right? Yeah. And they pronounce it that way. And I was telling a story about Dracula, but I said Dracula. And my husband, Gunnar, was like, I don't, I've never had that candy. And he loves this candy. And I was like, Gunnar. Dracula. And he was like, oh, I was like, seriously? <laughs> you have no idea Dude. what I'm talking about. So there is, I think there isn't, um, I can't speak for this cab driver, right. but there is like sometimes this association, right? With just the sayings and they have to be so precise as well. Okay. That, That's a fair point. Right? So, but it, 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 annoyed, it still annoyed me because I was like, you really had no idea what I was talking about. This one. It's <laughs> like for the justice <laughs> of the fangs. And like, it's, it's like the vampire candy, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> and what about... Some of your biggest challenges that you faced with adjusting here. Um, okay, well, this is a story that I, I don't tell to a lot of people. Okay. But it, it really, it's it's an incident that got me got me interested 
and immigration issues mm. in Iceland. And it's like what led me into journalism pretty much. Okay. It was just this one incident that happened at the, the restaurant in question. Okay. Um, I think I told you this story about the two American tourists. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I could, I'll tell this story again then. Um, I mean, everyone else hasn't heard it. So. Right. Uh, so I was on my break in the dining room and it was a really bad day and I'm sitting there smoking and these two tourists came in and they were clearly American because they're wearing clean blue jeans with fresh running shoes. <laughs> and like these, these are my people. Right? So I go up to say hi and, um, for the record, it was uh, a white man and a black man there. Mm-hmm. And the white guy was like, well, how do you like Iceland? With this like look of wonder in his eyes. And I was just not in the mood to talk up the country at that time. So I was like, it sucks. Like, I can't sit down for five minutes. So yeah. these people will sit on their butts for like half an hour. Um, if something goes wrong, I'm the first one who's blamed for it. If there's some crap job that needs doing, I'm the one who's asked to do it. And as I'm going down this list, this black guy gets this big smile on his face. <laughs> and I asked, What's, what are you smiling? I had a feeling I knew, but he was like, it's just so nice to see a white man experience this for wow. a change. <laughs> And I was like, oh, damn. And I started thinking about, like, okay, yeah, like, I don't look that different from the native population here. Mm -hmm. So how about women? How about disabled women? How about women of color? Refugees? Or, you know, people who are... Any other. Yeah. Yeah. Much further marginalized. Who come here. uh, How are they treated? And that got me interested to look into immigration issues in general. And... Like, that was, you know, the first article I wrote for Grapevine in 2003 was about the immigration process in in general because of our unique three-tier system for for how we um, value immigrants. Yeah. And so that's an interesting domino effect for your life, right? That there's this chance encounter that just kind of flips your mind about yeah. people and how they're, you know, your perception, of course, of, of yourself and Icelandic people then ends up going beyond that yeah. in these different levels of experiences. It really, like, it opened my eyes to a lot of different things, yeah. you know, because I was just like, when he, when he said this to me, it also had me thinking, um, that like, you know, I'm just getting like the tiniest little whiff of discrimination yeah. of what it's like, like if, and then I, like tried to, to imagine what it would be like to have to deal with that since birth, and I just couldn't even get my head around it. Yeah, I just you know, or even I, having like ancestors and all these other yeah. things, right? Like this is it's a lot going like centuries of, of like process. having to deal with that, yeah. and like I have even the slightest idea how I would. I mean, I imagine I'd build a lot of defense mechanisms and coping mechanisms and stuff like that. Right. But just knowing my personality in general, I'd probably be like a really difficult person. <laughs> to deal with. Like I'm not taking this. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like my more radicalized friends, I'm just like, no, it's yeah, it's I would legit. be just as furious. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a hard thing too, I think, when it comes to fighting back. Because mm. there are obviously places where people, you feel the safe space to say your piece. But if you're in a very marginalized community, you don't have very many safe spaces. Mm. So there's a good chance that something physically could happen to you, your family or whatever else. And people who are, you, know, you were mentioning immigration, mm. you're in a foreign place. Yeah. right? So the space in general is not safe for you unless you're found some you know help or something else and certainly for the most part though with immigration the way it is now whether it's in iceland or a lot of other european countries it's 
pretty unsafe for a lot of people who were fleeing conflict. Fleeing conflict into conflict, right? It's just precisely pretty scary. Which is always struck me as like one of Icelandic society's biggest contradictions. The fact that this country it prides itself on the fact that we, we don't have a standing army right. and we don't participate in military conflict was a little disingenuous because mm-hmm. we do pay money into NATO and allow them to do exercises here. Yet at the same, and we're, you know, we've been very vocal in our support for Palestine. We've been very vocal in our condemnation of unjust wars. Um, at the same time, we were in the coalition of the willing. And when people flee mm-hmm. war-torn countries and come here, uh, it seems that the authorities have a lot of difficulty putting their money where their mouth is. And I think as one of like the biggest contradictions, it's like we condemn war, but we don't want to have anything to do with helping people right. fleeing war. Driven by fear of seeing things in Sweden or Germany or whatever. Uh, yeah. I, you hear this and it's saddening and terrible because you're just realizing that people aren't prepared, like you said, to put their money where their mouth is. And yeah, yes. Iceland, like many places, has a long way to go. Um, Certainly so. So you are the you're currently the news editor mm-hmm. for the Grapevine, and you mentioned about you know we talked about your incident and how you ended up writing mm-hmm. a piece for the Grapevine. But what makes you stay a part of this team? Like, what is driving you in, in this job that you have? I ever since can, I've been contributing on and off um, for roughly sixteen years now. Uh, I have a lot of freedom mm-hmm. in terms of what I can write about and how I write it. Nice. And that is invaluable as a reporter. Like, I am certainly, I'm certainly assigned things as well. But um, as a reporter, you'll often find yourself under the direction of your editor-in-chief for a lot of your ideas. Um, Reporters are encouraged, of course, to pitch their ideas, but not all can get accepted. And I've given a lot of freedom in terms of what I'm allowed to report on. Uh, I can cover the issues that matter to me and that I hope will also matter to my readers, of course. And um, also the fact that like, there's, there's a um, very strong sense of uh, acceptance here. Mm. Like um, when I came out as trans last July, um, I did it so in spectacularly public fashion, mm. like with this very long Facebook statement. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't warn anybody, really. I talked to a few people, of course, but within minutes, uh, posting the status, I got an email from the head of HR here. Okay. Who was just like, we just want to know, like, what can we do to make awesome. things more comfortable and welcoming for you in your work environment? And I came back and they went out of their way to, like, change all of my accounts for, nice. like, email right. and social media scheduling and what have you and posting on our website to my new name and the name that I go by now. That's and very supportive and beautiful. Yes, exactly. And I, it's not all workplaces that are like that. No. Um, Most people don't even understand that they should be reaching out, right? <laughs> yeah. To say, like, by the way, we're here for you. Mm-hmm. Just that act alone, I think, shows the So that was, that was also really good. And I think that we also, I'm also proud to be part of this thing because I think we serve an important function right. in Icelandic society. We're certainly not the only English language news source in Iceland. But I think that Grapevine has um, developed a reputation, not only for like humorous irreverence, yeah. <laughs> but also social criticism. Right. That can be very pointed and can be very investigative. And it's a reputation that we spent years building. And um, 
I really sincerely hope that we can continue to build upon that reputation. Yeah. Not, to sound, not to sound super PR and no, official no, about it. No, no, but I agree with you. And I think, because I, before I moved, mm-hmm. the grapevine was the first paper I saw in print in, I think, a hot dog place, actually, yeah. <laughs> with Gunnar. And I was like, there's an English paper in Reykjavik, and it's about Iceland. And so it just made me feel so included because mm. I could and I realized it was online so I was like oh I can keep up with English you know the news in English until I end up learning Icelandic yes. and so I do think there's a need obviously for it and the commentary that's going on in this country because you miss so much as an English speaker who is interested in Iceland and outside of the country or even just trying to acclimate to the country mm. while you're here and that is what I try to have in mind when I pick my day's news stories yeah I mean not just like the cute and funny stuff like about a cat being stuck in a tree right. or the trailer for Frozen 2 seems to feature Reynas Fjara, even though the Frozen universe takes place in Norway. Interesting. You know, like, okay. You know, quirky, cute little stories like that. Sure. But also I, I'm trying to provide a service for readers who like don't understand Icelandic to point out things that are happening that still affect them and should matter to right. them. Like what the government does with our taxes, what the unions are trying to do how immigration authorities handle or mishandle yeah. asylum seeker cases, things of this nature. Absolutely. That's great. I'm very grateful for this paper, and I'm, I'm glad that they were able to have someone like you come on and be a part of it and add to add the value of your voice. After the many years that you have been living here, mm-hmm. do you feel that you are Icelandic? No. No. You still very, feel very much like you're Andy from Baltimore. Yeah. I, I feel as, um, I often say like, I'm an Icelander, but I'm not Icelandic. Mm. Like I have, I, I'm an Icelandic citizen. Right. Of course. But, um, there is a lot of aspects of my personality that were certainly formed by Baltimore. Right. And, um, just the Northeast mentality in general. And for those who are maybe not familiar with the Northeast <laughs> mentality, what I mean is like our general, uh, Geez, how do I put this without trashing the entire world? <laughs> like, or, or, I would, I mean, you're you're from New York, mm-hmm. okay, and that's like the epicenter yep. of the entire Eastern Seaboard. Yep. I would say. So, what do you think? Would you characterize the Northeastern attitude as being a little bit jaded, kind of cynical, a little bit distrustful of like stuff that seems outside of the norm, but at the same time being very celebratory of things that are outside of the north like i think it's i think our attitude as northeasterners is definitely yeah. like my time is valuable and yep not, don't want any obstacles in our way like little trifling stuff but it but like complaining about those that trifling stuff is also a part of and doing something about it right yeah. so there's the complaining but you're like you're you're, you're action oriented yeah and definitely. i that's, i value that part of growing up in the northeast mm-hmm. even though i do see the downsides to some of it now the trust part i mean new york city you just grow up in baltimore of course too yeah. you grow up being like look <laughs> like yes. i'm not leaving my bag unattended i'm not you know even though i walk down the street i know in my brain understands that I'm supposed to be safe here, yeah. but I still am checking to see if anyone's around, like all these different oh, things sure. that are just natural because I learned them growing up and you were just taught, you know, to watch yourself. Yeah. So I consider that actually a positive yeah. <laughs> traits, uh, but of course it depends on where you're from. And Certainly. I mean, in Baltimore, we're really, in Baltimore, we're really jaded and cynical people. 
in general, highly distrustful, um, often justifiably so. Um, and so as Baltimorean, um, coming to Reykjavik, where um, amongst Nordic people in general, like social harmony is super important. Yeah. Like don't rock the boat, don't make any unnecessary waves or whatever. And I have a very um, different attitude. I think it's also a Northeastern thing. It's like yeah. you're super direct, right? And yeah. that's and that rocks the boat in general because people are just like, oh, a little jarred. Like, okay, well, I guess you're just going to say exactly how you feel. And it's like, yeah. yes, isn't that what you want? I'm so confused. Of course. <laughs> of course. I have respect for that. Like, it, I mean, I don't like to be in it. I don't like uncertainty very much. Yeah. I don't like reading subtext and trying to read between the lines of what someone's saying. I prefer, like, to be direct. Right. Because that's how I was raised. That's the culture I was raised in. And so having to learn to read and hear subtext in stuff that's being said to me um, was a skill that I, it took a long time to develop. Yeah. Is especially if someone has a problem with you because mm. everyone around you is going to know before you do. Because they're going to talk about talk to somebody else basically yeah, instead of like confronting you directly which right. is what i would do right and yeah. i believe also it would be the right thing to do but such is life cultural and culture yes. and it's a good learning experience right it certainly is even if it can be a little <laughs> hard <laughs> yeah i'm not making any value judgments don't get me wrong right these are just because um the added social the the importance of social harmony that I centers place is what yeah. holds the fabric of this society together. Yeah. Just as like mutual distrust is what holds all together. <laughs> 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 it's like I love you, but I don't trust you. Not like that. <laughs> so. I'm gonna keep one eye on you. Exactly. You're okay. <laughs> what is something about Iceland that people in other countries, the US or wherever, would be surprised to know or learn about. Oh wow, um, I, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, I guess, is that the, the climate, um, that it's not like minus twenty here mm-hmm. year round that we do experience, well, at least two or three seasons. Um, we don't get real summer as yeah. far as I'm concerned. <laughs> not but, last summer anyway. <laughs> no, but yeah, that the. the that uh, yeah the climate first and foremost i would say um and also some of the, some of the myths mm-hmm. um about icelandic society in general like it's 100 percent atheist it's totally gender right, yeah. equal, equal and what have you um but all of those myths are kind of spokes around the hub of a wheel of kind of viewing icelanders as homogenous people right and in comparison to a lot of other countries they certainly are but I think it would be oversimplified to view all Icelanders as being virtually the same. So they're not. They're just as contrasting to one another as any other people's. Agreed. Anywhere else. You know, you've got very religious Icelanders. You have atheistic Icelanders. Um, you have those who are making a lot of money and yes. those who are, like, living below the poverty line. Right. You know? And we have a very um, contrasting society, a very varied society. Less so than other countries, certainly. Especially less so than other countries in Western Europe, but that doesn't mean it's a, a homogenous country. Like, not even genetically speaking, right, yeah. for that matter. I mean, I know that was a big thing when Decode was coming up. Mm-hmm. That the, this myth that kept getting touted that, like, Icelanders are genetically homogenous people is simply untrue, as Decode's own research showed. Yeah. Like, there's Celtic blood, there's Portuguese, there's French, French yeah. a lot. 
you know? And it's fascinating, too, how some people that I know now that I've worked with, they will talk about, oh, I'm from the West Fjords, that's where the French were, you know? It's just like, yes. a, you know, they have this pride around it, too, yeah. to kind of differentiate themselves, so it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing. Certainly. Yeah. But even, I think... With the Celtic part mm. and slaves, right? So yes. this idea, right? And like I talked about this in one episode, and it was just when I found out about it, it kind of blew my mind. And the way I found out is I was reading a placard <laughs> at a, by a lake, and it said, I think it was like Thiefet or something. Yeah, was that, yeah, slave of. It was Ingolfus. Yes, exactly. And I was like, wait, what? He he was a slave. Back up, <laughs> right? Let's, let's, mm. let's talk about this a little bit. And I said to him that he's like, yeah. I said to people, like, the Vikings had slaves, and he just said it so nonchalantly. And I was like, but this is a huge thing to me. And naturally, yes. To be able to understand that, you know, obviously, and I said you thought, of, okay, Vikings, yes, rape, pillage, mm-hmm. terrible. But you just didn't think about the aftermath of it. And yeah. then why all these people in the country have red hair, right? So, like, yeah. and then where this comes from. So that is... Certainly so. I think that does get glossed over a lot, um, especially if you talk to Icelanders about the Atlantic slave trade. Mm. Because when you talk about slavery, they're like, generally assume you mean the Atlantic slave trade and the so-called golden triangle and what have yes. you. And I mean like, no, Iceland didn't take part in slavery. It's like, but you did. Yes. You did. And, and it's not something meant to shame you. No, it's of just course not. You being... just have to recognize it as a part of your history. Right. It's a natural thing. And I don't know what sort of cultural influence that might have had yeah. just in general, but I mean, Vifi at least got a mountain named after him. That's so. true. And land. I mean, there was a yeah. whole process that seemed a little bit more fair. <laughs> and, sort of, yeah. When you read back, because you can only read what other people wrote, right? So yes. that's the other part part is to, too. Is that like, is an excellent point. Like, where's the saga of the slaves? Right. Like, Ooh, that's a good title. I would love so. to like read a saga written from the point of view of a slave in mm. settlement era Iceland. Yeah. Instead, as you said, like we, we get the accounts of the the rich moneyed Icelanders right. and the scribes who were sponsored by them hundreds of years after the fact exactly. of what the reality was here for yep. for Viking slaves. I don't wreck I mean it's kind of implied in the name that, like, you're a slave. Yeah. You probably didn't not, have a lot of rights, <laughs> right. you know? It's like not exactly but the best position to be in in society. No, no, it's not, <laughs> it's not an aspiration. No. But, you know, it's, it's definitely, a, yeah, Icelanders practice slavery is, is definitely something that still surprises a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That's very true. So I'm going to jump into something a little bit more personal about you. All right. And that is, you mentioned it already, uh, that recently you announced on Facebook about uh, that you officially registered in the trans team process yes. here. What has coming out as trans in Iceland been like for you? So you mentioned that the Reykjavik grapevine has mm-hmm. been supportive, yes. but in general, has it been a supportive place? Have mm-hmm. people been reaching out to you? Do you feel like you're safe to do this process here? Well, I came out not only as trans, but also as non-binary. Okay. And um, for the unfamiliar, the... Non-binary is an umbrella term that refers to people who do not identify as male or female exclusively. Um, in my case, it would be really—it's—it's it's hard for me to put my finger on exactly what my gender is because mm-hmm. when you start pulling the thread on what gender means, the whole thing starts to become unraveled yeah. because it's all social constructs, which is not to say they're not real. I mean, money is a social construct, yeah. but it still has power. So is race. Yeah. Exactly. Like whiteness was a concept that right. was invented. 
a social construct that was invented as well. And these things can still have power. Right. You know, but um, in being honest with myself, like I'd felt since I was a child that I was simultaneously a girl and a boy. But there was no word for this that I knew for the longest time. And so, and like there being a binary was very much the reality, um, at least in layman's thought for most of my life. Uh, I don't want to state the exact year of my birth, but it No, was, no worries. You don't have to give, give yourself away that way. Uh, the the latter, <laughs> latter part of the 20th century. Okay. I would say. And um, yeah, and so I just like pretty much accepted the fact um, or didn't accept the notion, rather, that maybe I'm just a very effeminate man. Mm, okay. And it wasn't until I started reading about non-binary. By chance? Or was it just like, you know... It's something that interested me when I was a senior in high school. Okay. Um, at that time, and, you know, jot this note down for those of you who confront someone who talks about there's only two genders. Mm-hmm. In 1991, psychology, mainstream psychology, recognized five genders wow masculine feminine androgynous undifferentiated and cross-sexed okay undifferentiated being neither male and female and that got me super interested in like how do they determine somebody's gender and there's a couple of like questionnaires that you can take that help determine this but these questionnaires are again all based on social situations it's not like they do a brain scan and say (laughs) yes you are neurologically female it doesn't work that way and so i started digging further into that and that led me to um and as i made uh trans friends and had more discussions with them here in iceland here in iceland um i came to the conclusion that like you know i have to be honest uh, with myself my family and those who know me about who I am and made the decision to come out. And since then, um, yeah, I've, I've received a considerable amount of support. Awesome. Definitely. Not just from my coworkers here, but my friends, um, my family, like even my Trump supporting aunt. Is, 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 <laughs> I wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just like, this doesn't yeah. seem to fit exactly. But. It, it doesn't, doesn't. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, she does. And um, I'm glad that she does. <laughs> yeah, we disagree on pretty much everything else. Though. Yeah. Um, but on that point, sure. That I'm, I'm happy to be because she's still blood. I mean, I'm happy to be accepted. Right. By her. And I, um, I think in general, just for being who you are, mm-hmm. is something you want people to accept, right? So that Certainly is so. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And um, but again, I'm in a very privileged position. Um, by virtue of being white and by virtue of being in a country that's very progressive yeah. when it comes to queer issues, certainly. Like, I posted a picture of myself in a skirt in this one Facebook group that I'm in, and this one trans person who saw this picture was like, wow, if I went out dressed like that, mm. I would be asking for an ass-kicking. Wow. And, like, that is true. Like, I'm in a very, very, very safe place. Yeah. When it, when it comes to being trans. Um, not that it's not without its difficulties, of course. Right. Definitely not. Like, I've done news reporting about um, what can happen inside of the uh, the showers at city pools here. Oh, no. If you try to go into the showers that are aligned with your gender. Right. Like, you can have pool staff sometimes um, ask you to leave, ask you, like, you should know it's 
and like insist that the that the showers are assigned uh, to be in alignment with your genitalia, right? Which is patently false, by the way. Yeah. Like both Reykjavik cities and Iceland, Iceland's guidelines regarding okay. gender discrimination prohibit this practice. Interesting. Okay, that's good to know as well. There's, it is. There have been rules put into place in order Certainly, to protect people. but the law is only as effective as it can be enforced right. and as people's knowledge right. of it. Right, yeah, exactly. Not all, not all pool staff is necessarily aware yeah. of this. And there, there is an information campaign that is going on right now okay. that is um, to inform people and not just visitors to the pool, but pool staff as well. Was that sparked from you investigating this? No, this is not sparked by me at okay. all. Okay, the, this was this is um, an, This was started by a trans man who lives in Iceland, okay. and he's had considerable difficulties with mm. pool staff, and so he started this campaign, and it's been going pretty well. Nice. Like, when, yeah, it's it's definitely had a, a positive effect. I've had nothing to do with it. I've just been reporting on it because I think it's a great project. <laughs> right. And for people who are listening, I think this is one thing that goes over people's heads a little bit, in that the pools, mm-hmm. you have to shower naked. But also, yes. there are usually people that are there to monitor to see like that people are showering naked, at least the largest pool Certainly. in Logadalur. So I think mm. that is another thing that like when people come, that's kind of surprising. But also, they might be thinking in their minds, like, how would they know, right? <laughs> because they're yeah. not private showers. At least no. there are some now, at least in the women's um, shower room. I don't know how they do it, you know, with the separated showers. I don't know. I don't go to the pool. Okay, but... I don't want to have to deal with the choice. Yeah, it's, it, it can be. I mean, for, even if you're not transitioning in mm. you know or, or having these other difficulties because of people's perception of you who they think you should be people are still insecure about themselves and a lot of people who come from the u.s there's you know we have normally privacy when we go into places mm-hmm. and it ends up being that this is like a shocking thing to see like there's someone sitting in a stall watching to see if you're taking off your bathing suit and actually showering right yes. so this just adds on to this complexity of the situation and as you know, especially if you're non-binary, right. um, like bathrooms and restaurants that have gendered bathrooms, like as well, another um, trans and non-binary friend of mine, uh, they were we were at this one restaurant and they they said to me like, whenever I tried to decide um, which bathroom I'm to take, I asked myself. Who do I want to piss off the most? Oh, no. <laughs> but they could get away with it because yeah. they just do not care. They're always ready to throw down. Interesting. And okay. So, <laughs> so they're almost like, you know what? <laughs> it's the ladies today, right? Yes. So. <laughs> Precisely. And yeah. they, you know, they have a very strong sense of like a personal bubble. Okay. And, pers- and or they will not be. Okay. pushed around and asserting themselves i'm deliberate i'm i'm sorry to be obtuse here like i'm deliberately not naming names because i don't yeah. know how comfortable they would be with me like discussing them personally right and i think that's fair to get consent to talk about them first certainly yes. and also like it doesn't really matter it's just the circumstance more than yes. the individual yeah okay. but i mean it's at the same time like um like little things can happen as well like one night i was trying to get a cab this is this is actually right after Pride. I was trying to get a cab, and I went to the cab stand, and I'm all femmed out in like a skirt and stockings yeah. and stuff. And like, hey, I need a cab home. And they're like, we're closed. What? It's like the hell you mean you're closed? We're like Twenty four hours. <laughs> exactly, you're a taxi service. And so I was like, all right, fine. And I walked around the corner and called the same company and asked for a cab. And 
they sent the driver right over because they can't see you over the phone. Right. But then, oh, God. Yeah. I feel like I'm slagging cab drivers a lot in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they need a wake-up call. (laughs) No, I mean... That is unfortunate. But Uh, that's, like, the sole, like, incident that I run into apart from, like, snide comments on social media but right. i don't which is where people hide and you know yeah able to... that's why i don't count like i see that and like yeah you're blocked and that's <laughs> yeah easy <laughs> yeah <laughs> i never have to interact with this person again right. and i'm certainly not going to expend the emotional labor explaining to them why they're right wrong. even but... though i think sometimes it can be hard when you're absorbing it at first mm-hmm. like i used to be afraid of opening my youtube comments because youtube is Sometimes a really negative, seemingly evil place, right? Like, I'm not, all my other social channels are fine, mm. but YouTube just seems to be a breeding ground for trolls because you can easily hide there. Yes. And it used to be that, especially the being black in, in Iceland video, and it still has comments that come in. And I'm just like, whoa, what are people thinking? Like, I don't understand why you would leave this comment. So it's just the, this idea on social media mm. of, because they can. Dropping, yeah, little bombs of like insults or whatever. And they can build up if you, if you let it. You know? Yeah. So, Certainly. And, it, like, just... and it, it can definitely weigh me down after a time. The main thing that gets to me is um, being misgendered, I guess. Mm, um, yeah. Like there, there is a third pronoun. English has had the singular they for centuries. Yes. But Icelandic um, is a very gatekept language. Mm. Gatekept language. Yeah. Um, curated language. And so Just the editor in you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they had to um, find a find a workaround for this and um, like a neologism. And what they came up with was Haun, which is a combination of okay. Han and Hun. Yeah. He and she. Yep. Before the unfamiliar put together as Haun as a third pronoun. And that's declined as neutral. Okay. As gen- as Icelandic has like male, female and neutral nouns um and so and how is very easy to decline because yeah. there's also the Icelandic word laun which loan so you just decline it like laun that's um, awesome and it but as easy as that is like it still takes t- people time to shift gears right. yeah and like people that i've told told like several times you know mm-hmm. i'm non-binary and these are the pronouns i like that um misgender me like even even when they don't mean it, yeah, it stings a little bit because right. it's like you're still invisible right. to their eyes. Exactly, and that's that's not a super nice feeling. Yeah, but um, fortunately, uh, no one has like deliberately misgendered me to my okay. face. That's good. To my face. To my face. <laughs> like, however, my I have a friend who's also non-binary, mm-hmm. and when I talk about Icelandic, I didn't know about Hound. Mm. So I'm glad that you said that because I was asked this question mm. and I was like, I feel weird saying Thoth, you know, because yeah. Thoth is it. And it now it's taking out like the actual, like a being, a person and just making an object out of into an, an individual into an object essentially. Certainly. So I'm glad. Okay, great. That's good but to not, know. I mean, not everyone will use this. Like some, like I'm fine with feminine identifiers, for example. Mm-hmm. Like you, when I when I use adjectives that describe myself, I take I use the feminine form, mm-hmm. um, just because I'm trying to tip the scales in the other way. After mm-hmm. decades right. of trying to live as a as a cisgendered man, right? Um, like yeah, it actually feels very liberating and very euphoric to to use feminine adjectives in okay. in describing myself and my feelings. 
fascinating. What advice do you have for people who are interested in moving to Iceland? Um, <laughs> depends where you're from. Okay. I would say. Um, if you're from outside of the European Union, I would especially, because if you're in the, just to clarify, okay, uh, Iceland has this unique immigration um, system whereby uh, foreigners are ranked. Like at the top ranking are other Scandinavians mm -hmm. and then come people from within the European Union and then there's everyone else. Right. And if you're everyone else, you don't have the same freedom of movement and freedom of labor that EU people, that Euros do. And so, pardon me, I would highly recommend visit first uh, <laughs> several times. Right. Make Icelandic friends and stay with them too if you can. Like, not in somebody's air, empty apartment through Airbnb, definitely not in a hotel. Right. Stay with an Icelandic family. Like, make friends with Icelanders. Stay and let, so that way you can see what daily life is like, what the daily routine is like. Um, you will also need to, to find a job before you move here. Mm -hmm. um, so that's highly recommended to do. Unless you're going to go back to school. Yes, unless you're yes, yeah. unless you're doing schooling, and that's a, a whole other topic. Mm -hmm. um, so I did like, you can never be too familiar with Iceland before moving here, and the country isn't going anywhere. So you have time to to familiarize yourself with um, people and society. But um, bear in mind that um, when you're a guest here, you're, you're treated uh, much better than you will be when you straight up move right. to Iceland and once they le they learn that you've settled here it's I mean no one's going to lose their minds presumably hopefully <laughs> but yeah you're generally treated much better as a visiting guest because when you're a guest people want to show their best side you know but when you move here and you're and you're settled here then people reveal their their true selves their true selves which yes. I mean it could be that you're just getting to understand the culture better, right? Yeah. Because you're not always seeing, like you're saying, mm -hmm. the, you're seeing the shiny side, right? <laughs> right? Which is, would... and it's not, I, I don't feel that after living here for almost three years that it's been that bad, mm -hmm. but there are certainly things I started to observe that I was like, whoa, okay, I wasn't aware that I sound, could be like this, or I sounded mm -hmm. people could be like this, or there's these cultural, uh, almost obligations that come along with being in this country. And Certainly. so you don't rock the boat, you're saying in certain ways, like they yeah. allow some rocking, but yes. there is a stopping point for sure. <laughs> and, oh, and absolutely. Whether you drink or not, or whether you party or not, definitely go downtown Reykjavik on a yep. Friday night. If you want to see these people with all their inhibitions gone. Yes. And after midnight, after midnight, especially, I, I guarantee you, it'll be mind blowing. Like yeah. do not wait <laughs> until before you move. They do not wait until you move here to, right. to see this because it can be a little bit much yeah. for some folks. Definitely. Like the, the first, when I moved here, I started my job like two days later and it was a Saturday night at a restaurant that seats 350 people. Wow. And all these, they, they open up for the, um, the night after like the dining was done is to be a bar. And I saw people so drunk mm. that like, I looked at these and I'm like, if I was in a bar in Baltimore and someone this drunk came up to a bar and wanted another beer, 
Yeah. It'd be like, no, you're, you're cut, cut off. Yeah, exactly. I'm calling you a cab. Right. Here, as long as you can slide your debit card across the bar, <laughs> like, they'll keep serving you. <laughs> and as long as you're not being violent. Right, people. yeah. But yeah, I've seen people who have clearly had way too much yeah. to drink continue to be served because they can continue to be paid and they're not causing right. any trouble. Right. But I mean, in the long run, there's a good chance that something's going to happen to them. That's Yeah, when they leave. Right. Well, <laughs> that is, I think that's a very good... Um, good, good advice to come and go at midnight or around that time because yeah, yeah you got to repair yourself yeah I mean it's, so it's, it can be a really it. fun time but also yeah. like you said there's a lot that happens just even like the partying aspect I think people they get a little bit like uh, elbowy yeah. <laughs> in clubs when they when they're dancing and stuff yeah and they can be very familiar all of a sudden yeah and then pretend nothing ever happened the next day <laughs> do you miss anything about the U.S. Malt liquor. Malt liquor? Yeah. Interesting. I really do. <laughs> okay. Um, I understand that they, I actually did an article about this. They try, They actually imported Colt 45 for a while, which wasn't my favorite. Really? To be honest. But I'll settle for Colt. <laughs> okay. Um, I was, I liked Old English 800 myself. Mm, okay. Um, but since the summers don't get very hot here, it's also like, do you really need malt liquor? <laughs> so I miss that, but not like with, I don't know. Like a deep burning passion or whatever. Um, steam crabs. Yeah, you're from Baltimore. That makes sense. Baltimore. I miss a lot yeah. too. Yeah. And there's crabs here. I mean, they, they got them on the back of their 50 kroner coins. <laughs> there's crabs. So I know They're there's hiding crabs. hiding from you. <laughs> but no one's thought to harvest. Yeah. Fact, I guess. I mean, you'll find them at Colaport that's occasionally. Um, Interesting. So, yeah. Um, uh, trees. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you can go to Thorsmork and like yeah trees there. Trees, yeah okay less facetiously I do miss uh, summer nights you know crickets mm. thunderstorms fireflies do you have fireflies, fireflies in yeah. Baltimore yeah yeah those little things like that but um these are all things I, I'm okay with living without too you know by comparison like I've I've said like. Many times that, like, I think I left the U.S. at the right time. Mm. I bailed in 1999, you know, tail end of the Clint- last year of Clinton's presidency. Right. And since then, like, every year that's passed, um, I've just been, it's just been reconfirmed like, year <laughs> after year after year. Like, Especially I made now. the right decision yeah. to leave. Right. And it makes me feel a little bit guilty because I have people I care about, you know, comrades back in the U.S. who are in danger. Right. And they're putting themselves on the front lines right. to, to help other people. So, but I just, I help them right. from where I am, like logistically and financially, right. if I can. Likewise. That's been my biggest dilemma since moving. Because I moved right before, not right before Trump was elected, but, you know, enough time before that yeah. it didn't coincide with that. And obviously I was heartbroken the morning that I found out that he was elected, but also mm. fearful mm. for my family, for my friends. You know, I've been to protests. I've been to, so it was just one of these things where I was just like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to all these people in these communities that are been building and doing this work for equality and immigration and all these things. And Absolutely. everybody's in jeopardy. And it just, everyone's in jeopardy, but there's scared. so many people that are so, so brave yeah. right now. Exactly. Fighting. This is why, like, when when I made that Facebook post about being officially brought into the trans process, I had a lot of people saying I was being brave and being courageous. And I, 
I felt like I couldn't accept that. Yeah. It's like, I'm not being brave. Like, it took a tremendous amount of, I'm just tired. Mm. Tired of pretending to be somebody that I'm not, you know? Like, the real brave trans people are, like, in the U.S., yeah. you know? Especially, like, especially like, trans women of color. Yes. It are being exterminated it, yeah, in the exactly. U.S. It's right disgusting. now. And no one's investigating it. No one is taking it seriously. Yeah. And it's happening in the U.S. every single day. Yeah. You know, the, tra- the, trans, the trans folks in the U.S., especially trans women of color, who make the decision to go out and be their real selves every single day, yeah. they're brave. Yeah. They're courageous. Just, and, in, and in many different places, New York included, where yeah. people think that people are so open-minded, people are literally being murdered. Yeah. Definitely. And things planted on them, like different circumstances, which are just absolutely, absolutely disturbing. I'm not brave workers. I'm just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> and pretty lucky to have moved to a place where it's like worked out pretty well. Yeah, exactly. So my last question for you is one that I pose to everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's always fascinating when people say this question. Okay. What is your favorite Icelandic word or phrase? My favorite Icelandic word is fithereldi. Fidelity. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that butterfly. butterfly? Yeah. Oh, that's nice for transformation as well. Yes. Awesome. Oh, wow. I didn't consider that. <laughs> there you go. That's true. <laughs> and your subconscious, it was always there. Not just because, like, a, you know, a butterfly is a very beautiful thing, but the English word butterfly doesn't really do the creature justice. True. Fidelity. Like, I don't know where this word comes from, but it just sounds so lyrical and, yeah. and pretty. And fantastical. Yes. Yeah. And... It, in turn, like, favorite Icelandic um, phrase, I guess, I, I know this is pr- a very, probably a very common response, but fetaretast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> roughly means, for the listeners, it, it'll all work out. This should pretty much be Iceland's national motto. Mm-hmm. I think it is, really, even yeah. though it's not written down as so, but pretty much everyone yeah. feels this that's, way. That's a part of, like, the whole social harmony thing. Mm-hmm. Like, please don't rock the boat. Um or make ways you don't need to because it'll all work out <laughs> eventually um you can like a great example of this i think is winter in iceland especially the sidewalks yes people don't shovel their sidewalks and, and they don't put out salt and no. maybe they put out some black sand oh my, which dissolves even... into like it goes into the ice but it doesn't always do a lot oh my god <laughs> don't even get me started on that like salt right like those They'll screw salt all over the streets, yeah, but not on the side. On the side, put that black sand, yep. And like the next snowfall that comes, it gets buried, and then spring comes. All that ice melts, and there's like dunes <laughs> all over the sidewalk. It ends up looking like the glaciers. Yeah. So the glaciers have you know ash that, that falls. Yeah, it's, like, it's almost like they're mimicking it by just by just nature, it. right? It's it's it's. Hilarious. But that's just it. Like there's a city councilman that lives on my street. I won't say who. Okay. Uh, <laughs> He does not shovel his sidewalk, yeah. and there's like a slick, icy plain in front of his house. And I was thinking, if this was a Baltimore City Councilman, this would be like, well, maybe not front page news, right. but it would be news. And like City Councilman begging for lawsuit. Right. Is- I was say, in New York, you'd be sued already. Like some, yes. someone would have come by and be like, oh, God, my, that's my next victim over there. I'm going to like, yeah. I'm going to make sure. Not to say that everyone who slips would do that, no. but it is, you know, we come from a society where yeah. people are very into. Suing, or at least the per capita, I think, the yes, U.S. It, it has totally that down. So. Totally so. <laughs> but it's the sidewalks that is a symbol of this Icelandic attitude about, like, it'll all work out. Like, 
You don't need to shovel the sidewalks. It'll all melt anyway. <laughs> Eventually. Fine. In like many months from now. <laughs> you can walk in the street. <laughs> uh, this has been a pleasure, Andy. Thank you so much. And it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor. Thank you for having me.